I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hammer and Rails podcast. We are back with you. With you as always, I'm your host, Andrew Ledman. And I'm Casey Bartley. And we are uh, doing the promised podcast about a look at uh, Matt Painter and what we think his future holds at Purdue and kind of how we would look back at this past season. But uh, before we do that, there's two bits of news we wanted to touch on. Um, nothing really in depth, but first, um, Casey, what do we know about Jaden Ivey? He gone. Going to the NBA. There you go. He's going to be a top five lottery pick, so woohoo! Yeah, I mean, we assumed it all year um, that unless something really, like, catastrophic happened or he just decided, I don't need millions of dollars, I love playing college basketball, I'm going to stay, which, you know, no one does that, and you can't blame them. Uh, We assumed he was going to be gone. He made it official this last week, and so uh, Jaden Ivey will be heading to the NBA after two seasons at Purdue. But um, Casey and I are going to cover his kind of whole career at Purdue in a future podcast. So we're not really going to touch on what this means for him right now, um, but we just want to wish him the best. And obviously it's something that I'm sure Painter and and the staff knew was coming. Yeah. It's going to be called the Jaden Ivey podcast. Yes, that's right. Um, so part two of the news here is former Purdue basketball coach, uh, Lee Rose passed away uh, yesterday, Tuesday, April 5th. He was of course the last Purdue basketball coach to go to the final four uh, that was in... Do you think he cursed us? I don't. Is think it so. over now? So he, we were we were talking about him before we started recording, and he had a, such a strange career. So he was at uh, he started at Transylvania user Transylvania University, and uh, he was an interim head coach there for basketball, but also for baseball. Um, and then he moved to UNC at Charlotte. He was there from 1975 to 1978. Actually took them to the Final Four in 1977. And he was also the AD there from 60, uh, I'm sorry, from 75 to 78. So the entire time he was the head basketball coach, he was also the AD. He left in 1978 and came to Purdue. He was here from 78 to 80. Took Purdue to the Final Four in 1980. And then left to go to University of South Florida for six seasons um, and then went to coach in the NBA as an assistant for years. Yeah, he had a wild ride. Uh, you don't you would get why a Final Four would jump you to Purdue. Right. But then to run to South Florida, which I'm assuming was not a major basketball college at any point. No, no, I can't imagine. Um, yeah, for someone who, you know, 
literally in three years has had more success in the NCAA tournament than Gene Cady and uh, Coach Maynard combined. Not a whole bunch talked about him. Not not super well known. Obviously, only being there three years, you don't create a you know three decade legacy like Cady and uh, Painter right. is headed towards. But yeah, it's it's always good to reflect back on these things, and it probably would be better if we did it uh, before people died. But right, right, yeah, yeah. That's I'm you know in a quick search before this podcast, learning a lot of stuff about him that I had no idea. Obviously, a really great coach had a lot of success in college and then on the NBA as an assistant coach. So, yeah. And he, I remember reading about, uh, I think it must've been like two years ago, an article about his time at Purdue. And the conclusion reached was he, no one really knew why he left Purdue. I mean, there was no acrimony as far as people knew, you know, it wasn't like, I hate the AD. I hate, you know, the school. I hate the situation here. It was just, he moved on to a new challenge, went down to South Florida and stayed there. Um, so it's it's very strange, uh, but again, he was the last coach to take Purdue to the Final Four in 1980, passed away um, Tuesday, April 5th. So um, thoughts with his family, and uh, you know, it, I I hope and I assume that Purdue will do something for him uh, next basketball season. So I'd be interested to see what they come up with, whether it's a patch or uh, maybe just a, a one-game thing, but it would be nice for Purdue to honor them, and I'm sure something is in the works. Could be cool if they honored him by going to the Final Four. Yeah, that'd be very cool. That, that'd be the best way to honor him, you know, on the court. Yeah. So uh, there we go. So that is going to wrap up the news portion of the podcast. Um, we're going to go ahead and take a break early because we're going to spend the bulk of the podcast talking about Matt Painter, not only this season, but his career so far at Purdue. So we're going to take a break now and we'll be right back with you. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And we are back. So as promised, we're going to take a look at the uh, the timeline and legacy so far of uh, Matt Painter at Purdue. Talk about where we think he needs to improve and and what we what we just kind of think about him in general this far into his Purdue tenure. So a uh, quick recap for those who maybe aren't longtime Purdue fans or uh, don't really know the history. So Painter, of course, played at Purdue under Gene Cady uh, when Cady's run was uh, going, you know, Toward the end of it, he he started to stumble there the last few years, didn't really have the players. Uh, so the decision was made by Morgan Burke, the athletic director at the time, to bring in a coach in waiting. Uh, ultimately, Matt Painter was decided upon, and he was brought in as the uh, head coach in waiting for the 04-05 basketball season. That was Gene Cady's last year. Uh, the team finished that year 7-21, and so not great. Uh, and then Painter officially took over 
the following season, that would be 0506. Uh, the team did not really do a whole lot better. Uh, nine and 19. Of course, they were missing their two best players that year uh, due to ACL injuries. That was David Teague and Carl Landry. Um, so uh, that was kind of how his tenure began, and we've of course followed it ever since. Um, Casey, how do you want to how do you want to kind of start this out? Do you want to look at his career at Purdue, or do you want to start with this season? I think it all just culminates to this season. Cause... Yeah, because I know you said you said you were you were taking some notes. You were looking at kind of past teams. Um, you texted me earlier today and said you were you were ready uh, and prepared. So I wondered kind of what you had written down. Oh, did you take that as me being like ready, like note? I just meant yeah. emotionally. I was oh, available oh. again to do the podcast. See, I'm giving you way too much credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I looked into the dark parts of my heart and I said, "Turn on the light," and I was ready. Oh, okay, all right. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll go with the other thing too. I got notes. Okay. You do good. No. Yes. In my head, in my heart. Also, good. I keep my notes in my heart. That's why I needed the light on. I couldn't read them. Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so Matt Painter started out as, uh, what do we say? The 06 season, terrible squad, real bad. Yeah. Real bad. Um, you know, when he took over, he took over for Gene Katie and Purdue had a very, very defensive oriented mindset. That was our whole thing. Tough man-to-man defense inside, you know, a Big Ten that was offensively challenged. Oh, yeah. And he rode that wave where we had a lot of good defensive guys. No no great offense until, you know, the baby boilers came in. Right. Etwan Moore, Robbie Hummel, Juwan Johnson. All of them very good two-way players, which I think is one of the distinctions between the team we had this year and a team like that. Yeah, yeah. And not not a lot of really great two-way players on this current uh, Purdue team. You know, we have players who are really good on offense um, and kind of a liability on defense or guys who are great on defense or at least good on defense, but uh, maybe can't you can't rely on them as much on the offensive end. Yeah, and it's interesting because going into the season, part of what we were so excited about is it looked like we had a team full of offensive players that were a lot more versatile on offense than we had last season than we've had for a lot of seasons uh you know when you you can pretty much break down coach painter's regime into three there there's the first couple years when you know the teague landry team that he was able to kind of pull out from the ashes of those bad katie years but it really starts with the baby boilers a few years of struggling and then resetting with the dakota matthias pj thompson uh haas and then that kind of bled into the Carson Edwards, Ryan Klein one year. And then you're talking about this, this foursome of Trevion Williams, Stasha, Sasha Stefanovic, Eric Hunter. Am I missing a name? I feel like I'm missing a name. Are you only talking about seniors? Yeah. This Pretty much there's been three classes yeah. that have been responsible for, you know, most of the success in the three kind of defining teams in Painter's era. And... This was so exciting because it seemed like we had an offense full of guys that could do a lot of different things. And I think what we saw, particularly towards the end of the season, a culmination of even if we have the offensive versatility player to player, are we actually able to have that offense if we are insistent of having a guy in the post? Is it possible to have a modern day, highly efficient offense that succeeds in March with guard play if you are making the guard's life more difficult by playing with a center who's not a pick and roll primary player, but a, I'm going to clog up the lane. I'm going to take up the space, get me the ball, or you will have to work very hard to get to the rim is kind of so, how I see this season. Yeah. So, I mean, your, your criticism sounds like it's more of the style of play that Purdue implements. I mean, Purdue has had a seven footer on the roster for what, eight or nine straight years now. Correct. I what It's, it's very hard to be, They were the number two offense in the country at the end of the year by Ken Palm, efficiency rating. We watched them have a ton of non-conference success to start the season. They looked like world beaters at times. But what we saw as the season went along is inconsistent play, uh, guard play that struggled, and an offense that just wasn't the same towards the end of the season. Yeah. In in fact, that that reminds me of a tweet I saw today uh, from Dylan Sin. Uh, He... uh, writes for the uh, Journal Gazette in Fort Wayne. Uh, He crunched the numbers on Purdue's offense this season. So he looked at 
before January 30th and after January 30th. And I'm going to read you the numbers. So these are three-point shooting percentages. So before January 30th, Sasha, 42%. After, 38%. Jaden Ivey, 43% before January 30th. After, 26%. Mason Gillis, 51%, down to 33%. Isaiah Thompson, 42% on 31 threes. And then in after January 30th, only 38%, but he only took five total threes. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's Wild. amazing the, the drop-off there. Wild. It, it's interesting, I I think, to get the most— uh, Oh, wait, wait. And he actually corrected himself. I'm sorry to interrupt. His It actually should say Sasha was 31% after January 30th, not 38%. So even worse. Yeah, I think, I think you have to compare this team in particular to— Trey and uh, Sasha's first year of playing, and that's the 2019 team that made it to the Elite. That team, in comparison to this team, struggled in the non-conference. Their big-time games, they lost to Virginia Tech. They lost to Florida State. They lost to Michigan early, and they lost to Texas. And that's the game where they lost to Notre Dame as well in Indianapolis. Ah, the crossroads. Gotta love them. So it's interesting to note that that team got better as the year went on. They ended up as the fourth best offense that year, but uh, compared to this squad, this squad was 121 uh, in adjusted efficiency. That team was 122.5. And I, I think we can all say, particularly with the way that that NCAA tournament ran, that offense was the ceiling. That was a beautifully orchestrated space and just dangerous grenade launchers in particular now, Carson Edwards and Ryan Klein. Do you mean do you mean the ceiling for that team or the ceiling for how any Purdue offense could possibly be? Almost any offense <laughs> any offense in together, but within the systems that we've seen Purdue run. Okay. I I don't think you can be much more efficient than that. And, I, and it it can be nuanced, but sometimes it's just literally it's two points inside. A big man making a layup is two points. And if a third of the time that they have a good look, they get fouled and go to the line and make two thirds of that. It becomes even less efficient. And I think we've seen that it also is not as conducive to breaking down a defense as we'd like to think it is. It's, I think we have this thought in our head that having a big man bang inside is kind of like having a running game that controls the game. Right. Yeah. And first of all, that's not really true with football anymore. Yeah, I mean, the, the modern NFL is if you don't have a top five quarterback, you're not really going anywhere. You know, gone are the days when you could win a Super Bowl with uh, Trent Dilfer. You know, right. it's not going to happen these days. And for a lot of Purdue teams, the answer is just we don't have the guards for NCAA tournament, so we have to play inside. And the weird thing about this 2019 team was Purdue had the guard. In fact, they had two of them, as we saw. We, unequivocally we saw with the way Carson Edwards played the entire tournament and the way Ryan Klein played early and in that Tennessee game. And I think what you want to look for is how were they able to do that? Because to a man, you're going to tell me Jay Nivey didn't have the ability to be that. No, I mean, I think he did, but I mean, his game is just so different, different, but offensively explosive. Yes. Able to make shots, able to create shots, able to create lo- way better passer than Carson Edwards ever was. And he had some pretty good perimeter talent around him. Nothing like a Ryan Klein, obviously, and I think that was a big downfall. You're right. But when you think of the 2019 team, his center was Matt Harms. Trevion Williams is off the bench, but he was you know, more of a change of pace guy. He played about 20% of the minutes, but that offense mostly ran with Matt Harms, who... By the way, couldn't post up. Yeah, he would not good at that. Uh, the other big was, you know, Evan Boudreaux, which is wild that he was on that team. I keep forgetting. Didn't play a ton, 20%. But the bulk of the big men minutes, Matt Harms and then Aaron Wheeler kind of played like a big. Neither of those guys were ever in the lane. They were constantly on the move, setting screens, a part of this just whirlwind offense that was always threatening you everywhere around. You never got a moment to breathe against that team. Because if Mm-mm. if you took a sigh of relief, Carson Edwards is draining a 40-footer in your face. Yeah, or Klein is just uh-huh. zooming off a screen. And you couldn't tell me. A lot of our success, the best plays we had towards the end of the year were, honestly, it was Eric Hunter running as the second guy off those screens. Right. Because it's really hard to stay with your man and then stay with another man and then not lose rotations or lose a step somewhere in there. Because if you throw, you know, 
you're running the, the bomb route on offense. Right. One of them is going to get a step. Yeah. And, I, I feel like, I feel like though, I'll let you finish your point. Go ahead. No, no, go, go for it. I, I'm just gonna say, I feel like we're, we're getting bogged down uh, and not really looking at painter in general so much as the players he's recruited, which obviously is a huge part of what he does, but I'd like to take a step back and no. ask you th- this question. Yes. When when you look at Painter's tenure and and how it started, you know, as I said, he took over a Purdue team that the the year before he became head coach was seven and twenty one. I think if you would go back and say, you know, this team will have an elite eight, multiple Sweet Sixteens, uh, a couple first round exits, but you know they're going to be competitive. They're going to win some Big Ten titles. They're going to win another, or they're going to win a Big Ten tournament title. Um, and get to another couple uh, Big Ten tournament championship games. You go back in time and tell the Purdue fans of that time that that's what they're going to get out of Matt Painter, they're thrilled. Now, that's not really how it works. Um, expectations change as you you win, as you do better. So my question I want to ask you is, how many of Matt Painter's teams at Purdue do you think were legitimate Final Four contenders? Because I've got my answer. Two, three, four, five. I say four. Are you not giving him two with Hummel? Yeah, I'm giving him two with Hummel. I'm giving him the year Haas uh, got injured. Okay. Uh, and then I'm giving the Carson Edwards year. You're not giving this year? No, because as That's we've talked wild, about. That's wild, Ledman. Listen, listen. Obviously, things broke well for this team in the tournament. You know, the. Yeah, but you believed can, all year. Not as much I as you did. I talked you into it. You believed yeah, it. That, right, but I'm saying it's two years in a row you've talked me into something that I didn't really believe. Last year, you, you made me believe that the team would get to the Sweet 16, no problem. They lost in the first round. This year, I was like, I don't know, Sweet 16 maybe is my, my limit. And then, of course, the bracket broke on them, and I was like, okay, maybe we can do it. Um, but, I mean, it just didn't work out. So I'm talking about, like, looking at the team, like, before the season or at least during the season. Okay, but I you are him- you are wildly on your own to not think this team didn't have potential for a Final Four. That's fine. That's fine. But I'm saying even even if you take me being a pessimistic uh, person here and saying he's had four, mm-hmm. you're giving him five. Correct. So that's five in 17 seasons. Is that right? Yes. So and when you think about it, those five teams, as I think you mentioned this on a previous podcast, the special teams that Painter has had are getting closer and closer together. The teams where we think he has an opportunity to get to the final four are happening more and more often we're not getting there of course and that's frustrating as hell but when you have a team that is built to get to the final four you feel more optimistic and one of those times i truly believe one of these times one of these teams that he builds is going to get to the final four and if he has teams that we feel have that opportunity more and more often it doesn't make sense for me uh to be one of those people who wants painter gone yeah i i nowhere close to thinking that i don't understand i i guess i get the frustration but i the caveats we all know we lost two of our chances on robbie humble's knee yeah oh man there's nothing you can do he put together a perfect seven man team which if you haven't been paying attention is exactly what you you want you don't want more than eight because when you play eight or nine guys you can say it's great. They're all this good. It's usually because four of them aren't that good. Right. Yeah. No one is truly separating themselves. They're all, you have four B minuses and you need B plus or better to win in the tournament. And we had two perfect squads. Um, you don't get a threesome better than Juwan Johnson, Robbie Hummel and Etwan Moore. Yeah. Lewis uh, Jackson uh, was Kramer, Kramer for the first Keaton one. Grant. Just that's a perfect lineup. That is ideal in March. And Hummel was the thing that stirred the drink on those teams. His freshman, sophomore year before getting injured, one of the most efficient offensive players in the history of college basketball. Yeah, I mean. Top 10 seasons all time. But before he tore his ACL in that Minnesota game, you you could not convince me otherwise. And you still can't convince me to this day that if, if Robbie Hummel does not injure his knee in that game against Minnesota, he plays the rest of the season, the rest of the season played out. You cannot convince me that Purdue doesn't make the Final Four. That team was playing absolutely out of their mind, and this was in late February, you know? So this is, I mean, we're getting ready to go into March, and they are playing their best basketball of the season, and they had all the pieces together, and to me, there's no way that team didn't make a Final Four with a healthy Robbie Hummel. 
Correct. That is just a all-time squad. All-time squad. And it that was what? The 09? 2010. 2010. Yeah. Yeah, and that was a and that was a defensive predicated team. Oh yeah. Uh they were they were locked down everywhere and then even their advanced numbers on offense weren't that great. They weren't a great shooting team, but you had guys like Etwan Moore and Robbie Hummel and even Chris Kramer, you know, in big games, we saw him step up. That was that was the squad. That that was a team. Yeah. And you can't blame him for a knee injury. No. And, and well, and then and then I mean, even if you don't think that that team was going to go all the way, you know, they were number three in the nation playing at Minnesota, ended up winning that game despite the shell shock of, you know, the horror after that injury. Uh, and then, you know, stumbled into the Big Ten tournament, stumbled into the NCAAs, still found a way to the Sweet 16. Um, the next year, uh, with both Etwan and Juwan coming back, hopefully a healthy Robbie Hummel, the thought was, you know, with those three, we could maybe do it again. And then, of course, in mid-October – tears the same ACL during a practice. So you, it's just so unfortunate that those three guys never really got to play all together, healthy, all clicking at, at, at top cylinder. Yeah, to be honest, that's probably the best team all around coach painters had, which one, the first the or the 2011 one? team. Okay. And that's, you know, senior year, Juwan Johnson, needs one more who were two, uh, two all Americans. Oh yeah. Juwan Johnson was stepping out, making some threes that year. Uh, he was unstoppable on offense. One of the biggest inside forces there was. Uh, Etwan Moore definitely elevated his game, 40% three-point shooting. And he started adding the pieces that made sense. You've got a junior Ryan Smith off the bench. Kelsey Barlow off the bench, that athlete that we didn't really have. Tyrone Johnson gave us good minutes that year. Uh, that, was one of the, that was the John Hart year. Right. We had pieces, but we had... That solid seven to eight guys that you would count on. Throw Robbie Hummel on that team. That team, 18th on offense, eight on defense. And, and as we talked about throughout the year, that's you what know, you those, need are, to win those are the numbers you need to, to win the tournament or get to the final four. And, and then, you know, after that, it's a bit of a crapshoot, but those are the numbers you want. So that's at least two teams. And then, of course, we go to the, the Isaac Haas elbow breaking in the tournament, um, you know, that led to the defeat at the hands of uh, Coach Chris Beard. Uh, in the second round, and again, that was another team. It was built to go to the Final Four. You have an injury, and you can't really re – I mean, there's no team in the country, I think, that could recover from an injury at that point of the season to a player that important to them. No, and especially when you're talking about – because you want to talk about these in, like, broad concepts, but that was all about the specific matchup. Right, because yeah. Because they were playing a Texas Tech team. We know what Chris Beard does. It's a whole bunch of tiny people coming at you. They played one guy, two guys that were six, eight or bigger. That was it. And we saw what happened against Texas. What Chris Beard squad looks like. If you have just at least one dominant big on the floor. And that was a game where we had to rely on Jaquil Taylor and Matt Harms yeah. to play 38 minutes. And that just was not cutting it. No. So once again, that that's three times now that I think we feel pretty. And that bracket broke after the Texas Tech game. Oh, uh, did I can't even remember. I've, I've, I've tried to block it out. I believe that was the year Auburn was waiting and they had just lost their best guy. Okay. I, I might have, or that, that was a Virginia year. Um, but yeah, that was a team where that offense was in theory better than the offense we had this season. Right. So, I mean, that's that's three teams right there. We've already discussed the Carson and uh, Ryan Klein year. So that's four. Um, so those are my four. Casey um, had a little more faith in this year, especially given the broken bracket. So he's got five. Now, that is five since the year 2010. Correct. That has been that has been 12 years. And you, by your estimation, Purdue has had five teams that could have made it to the final four three of which were derailed by injuries to key players. I, I say there's four with three of them derailed by key injuries to key players. Regardless of which one you believe, if you think it's five or if you think it's four, that means roughly every three seasons, Coach Matt Painter is putting together a squad that one of us believes Correct. has a real opportunity to go to the final four. And the fourth one is even unluckier than the injuries. A free oh, throw. Oh, God. A free throw. And a, or a, and a, tip a tip pass. Yeah. And a crazy pass and a crazy floater. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't know how. I still don't know how. I don't know how it happened. It, it makes no it's sense. It's unbelievable. But so, so I like, mean, there's nothing in that game he didn't do. 
Exactly. I mean, like, fouled up, fouled up, nothing, just like you're supposed to do. Nothing. Which it, it was so crazy nothing. because Painter had shown in the past he right. had not been fouling up three. And then I don't know, you know, one of his assistants or he just looked at the numbers. Uh, and it he was decided, earlier that year we lost the Tennessee game. Okay. Because he didn't do it. Yeah. So he fouled up three, followed the numbers, and it was the one in a million shot that, you know, just bit Purdue in the ass. So no final four. So to me, Painter has built this program back to a real a real high point, you know, basically for my lifetime. Um, you know, Purdue has only been to two Elite Eights in my lifetime um, back in, I think, 2002 um, or 2000. Yeah. Uh, with Brian Cardinal and Kenny Lowe. Right. And then in, you know, the uh, 2019 with uh, Carson and Ryan Klein. So. It's it's not as if this is a regular everyday occurrence for Purdue, and here we are talking about we've got four or five teams that we think could have done that in the last 12 years. So uh, my question for those people who sit on the sidelines and and come at us on Twitter and in our Facebook comments and in our our comments on the website who want Painter gone, when faced with these, I, I would argue these are facts, but you know certainly their opinions. Um, but the injuries you can't deny. Um, if you want Painter gone, what's your next step? Because you don't fire a coach like Matt Painter without someone in mind or someone lined up who you can literally bring in as an upgrade. I mean, there's there, well, that's the problem. Upgrade, like there's like five coaches. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. And but there's two you people. Think any that, of them are leaving? No, but there's two people people will could theoretically point to. Okay, I'd love to hear them. Conzo Martin and Shrewsbury. Oh, no. Well, Shrewsbury at least makes sense because he's shown Conzo makes some sense. Success. Because if uh, he's he's really I, I struggled know, in his I head know. coaching roles though. But big time recruiter, big time name. Absolutely, yeah. You he would be on the short list. Yes, I, I, I think time. I have. So like, and we know what we want. We want guys from Purdue. Yeah. I I don't think it's worth having this conversation because I don't even think we're we're anywhere close to firing. No, him. I don't think so either. Here, but what I'll say is, um, I'm gonna play devil's advocate advocate for a minute here, uh, because I know this is the argument we're gonna get. So I want you to refute it, which I think, by the way, will be really easy. Um, but I'm going to do it anyway, okay? So, again, this is not what I believe. These are what I've seen in the comments, and it's a comparison I'm going to make, okay? You ready? Yeah. All right. I am a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. Been a Buccaneers fan for years, pre-Tom Brady, so no front running here. Uh, I was a, I was a fan when, when Tony Dungy was the head coach, and they kept getting to the playoffs Got to the conference championship game a few times. Lost to the Eagles. I can't tell you how many times. Uh, super frustrating. Teams were built. These teams were built to go to the Super Bowl. Never got there. Uh, Tony Dungy, obviously great coach, great man. However, Bucks fired him. They brought in John Gruden. He was there immediately. One year. Changed things a little bit. Took him to the Super Bowl. Won the first Super Bowl in franchise history. Now, can the argument be made? No. That Matt Painter is the Tony Dungy, and all we need is someone to come in and either, you know, tweak what we're doing on offense or tweak what we're doing on defense just a little bit because no. the players are there in order to get us to the Final Four. Why is that not true? Because the players aren't still there, first of all. In this scenario, Warren Sapp would be gone, Simeon Rice would be gone, Keyshawn Johnson are gone. It's not the same team. Like, yes. Like, you're not still stacked with the same squad. That argument might... You could make it after last year when they lost in the first round and everyone was coming back, but that's not how it works. And just it, first of all, football's a different sport. Of course. And a lot of it is just, you know, player development and getting lucky and one and done games. So, so no, it's just, I, I don't think there's enough of a comparison between the two scenarios to even make logical reasons why that doesn't work. <laughs> but I think the one thing you see in college basketball the few coaches that do get a stick around, they all break through. Jay Wright, Tony Bennett. Yeah. Um, Continuity matters so much in college basketball. Exactly. Uh, Bo Ryan. Yeah. The, all these coaches, all their fan bases said the same thing about them until one day you don't because one day you're a champion and one day you're, or one day you're not a champion and one day you are. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And it's so much, so much of this criticism of Painter goes away. If ever, if one thing had gone differently in that Virginia game, all of a sudden he's in the final four and no matter what happens the next year they're in the tournament or this year, they're like people people would I mean, they would say, Well, he's got us there before, we'll get there again, you know, we're building something. But because of one play going one direction, you know, one out of a thousand times, all of a sudden a, you know, a small percentage, I don't know how much of the fan base, you know, wants to run painter out of town on a rail. 
And it's astounding because it's one of those things where you don't realize how lucky you are uh, until, you know, should something happen to Painter or should Painter be fired? Uh, I just I don't know who these people think they could bring in to sustain Purdue where they are, both from a recruiting standpoint and from an on the court standpoint. Yeah, it's just nonsense. Uh, He's been too consistently good with too many different players and entire recruiting classes. Purdue has their guy. And any conversation that they don't, you're just not paying attention. Yeah. Now, this isn't to say that Painter is, you know, above criticism. Uh, I've got not. plenty. Yeah. We can get to. So one one thing before we get into that, I, I think Painter has been hurt to some degree by the switch in the rules of college basketball, as I've said a couple times in the past. You know, you mentioned the first teams he built at Purdue were more focused on defense. The Big Ten was a more defensive league. You know, there was a lot of bruisers. There was guys like Chris Kramer, guys like um, Aaron Kraft. I almost said Ethan Kraft, like from Mean Girls, um, who who were really in-your-face defenders and would really get up in your jersey. Well, you can't really play that type of basketball in the Big Ten anymore. And I think it took Painter, I think he'd probably admit this, took him a little longer uh, to adjust to the new rules and kind of change the guys he's going to recruit. Are you sure? Because um, uh, St. Peter's just did it to us. Houston yeah, did it. Well, Texas Tech does it. But that's not how the game is called for the vast majority of games, especially Un- unless the you make 10. it that way. We here this directly goes into one of my criticisms. Okay, good. He's not gotten the best of, and at times seems scared to get athletes. Okay, say more about that. Who do you mean specifically? Uh, I mean, this year, obviously, Jaden Ivey. Ivey, of course. Uh, he was very good. His numbers are great. His season was successful. You're never going to say he got anywhere close to 100% of what he could be. No, I, I, he did not definitely – he definitely did not reach his ceiling here at Purdue. Um, Brandon Newman spent most of the season on the bench. Right, and after a really good freshman year. And, uh, I mean, we can go over the names. That, that big stretch of – Lack of success when he wasn't getting Purdue guys. Yeah. You're talking your Jacob Lawson's, uh, your Anthony Johnson's. Uh, Basil Smotherman. Ba- uh, Basil Smotherman. No, no gel. No gel Eastern. Kelsey Barlow. Bryson Scott. Yeah. These these are your guys that are athletes, that are supposed to be a little bit of spice to all the talent you have around. Uh, a, a bit of a sauce, some little- might say. <laughs> Um, so why it, it, we want to give coach Maynard a lot of credit for the way players develop, but it's only a certain kind of player that develops. And I, at what point I think we give him, we need to give him a lot, maybe even more credit for picking the kind of guys that are going to grow their own game. Ryan Klein, Dakota Mathias, PJ Thompson. I think we're seeing it with Ethan Morton. Yeah. Uh, you know, Carson Edwards. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure anyone improved more than he did within just three seasons. Yeah, well, even from, you know, the beginning of that junior season to the NCAA tournament, Correct. I mean, the, the play was just incredible. Uh, but when you look at even someone like Aaron Wheeler, we didn't name him. Yeah. Um, why are those guys not improving in the same fashion? Why do those guys all lose significant Transfer, time basically. on the court and then end up transferring? Yeah. Why? It, it, why? Can he not coach them the same way? We really, we really could have used um, Aaron, Wheeler. Aaron Wheeler, Aaron Wheeler, Aaron Wheeler this year. I'm, I'm not sure if we lose that St. Peter's game if we have a guy like Aaron Wheeler on the court. I'm not sure we lose more than two games all season. He, Ooh. I, our biggest problems were things that he did really well. I mean, he was a mean defender, great on the boards, uh, despite the one year slump, could shoot at least, and he showed it this year. Shot over forty percent. Why are those guys? Aaron Wheeler, in particular, having success elsewhere. A lot of those other guys didn't. Kendall Stevenson did. Why Why are? Why is there a certain kind of player, and those are the kind of athletes that you need to have a really good defense to be a more balanced offense? Why did Sasha not get better? Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, <laughs> to me, that is the, that is the biggest uh, question mark I have because for the first few years um, of Painter, really you could look and see his players improving. Um, I, I think... The big knock on Painter when he came to Purdue initially was he wasn't getting the big recruits, but he was good on the court. You know, he was good with X's and O's, but couldn't recruit. Now people seem to have taken the opposite approach and believe he can recruit, but he can't do X's and O's, Um, which is just, again, I think it's an absurd critique, Um, but he can always improve. And I mean, your point is, is 
I think an excellent one. Why are we why are we having these guys who are so athletic, who are missing pieces and unlike any players that we have, so you know they're not redundant mm-hmm. on the squad. Uh, why are they the ones leaving and why can we not find a player like them that continues to grow as a player and blossoms under Painter? And, um, what is he doing differently with those guys? And to kind of a uh, wrap a bow around this, our guards and players if there's a big man in the paint, you have to be smarter and work harder for every other inch on the court because that golden spot is taken up. That's where everyone wants to get to. That's where they want to be. But all of a sudden, there are more bodies there. So if you're not doing all the small things or if you don't get to do what you're comfortable with, pick and roll, getting to that spot, all of a sudden, it's a lot harder to get in rhythm. It's a lot harder to get your shot. And I'm just saying... I think there is a correlation between those two things because well, but, when you watch teams that are super spread out full of athletes those athletes look a lot better and that athleticism gets to take a lot more advantage of all that space 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 that is why a lot of some college kids kind of struggle in college where there's less of it and get to the nba and all of a sudden it looks like a whole new game for them yeah i wonder if that's what's going to happen with Jaden ivy it's absolutely going to happen um, with Jaden ivy because i mean my frustration with him all year was that he would i mean he would go directly where the defenders were but when purdue was on the floor with Edie or um trevion out there there's going to be people in the paint so correct for for him to get to the hoop he's we've either got to clear out we've got to play a small lineup correct. we've got to do something else um now i mean this seems to be a system that Painter is locked into. I mean, we've got Edie for a, you know at least one more year. He's got two years of eligibility. Uh, and then following up behind him, we've got this um, guy named Berg. Um, I forget where he is from, uh, but he is also another seven-footer uh, committed to Purdue. So it doesn't seem like this is going to be so something that Purdue is going away from. Yes, but at the same time, there is a couple stipulations. First of all, Berg can shoot which instantly makes your offense much more adaptable and space can be found just by either pick and popping or having him in the corner. Easiest solution. You, that okay. That is the NBA now. So do we, I mean, do we think, I mean, obviously we don't know uh, for sure what kind of player Berg is going to be. He's, he's listed at seven two, about two seventy. Um, so if, if jumper, if he's a guy who truly can um, be a seven footer who can shoot it, it would change the complexity of the offense, but do we think that is truly what he's going to be when he comes in? I think that will definitely be a part of his game. We saw it with Evan Boudreaux, and we saw it with Matt Harms. They both pick and popped, and that is in Purdue's bag. It's in their arsenal. We saw it in 2019. You can do it if they can shoot. Trey didn't really want to shoot. I mean, he shot occasionally, but it was very rarely off a of pick and pop because that's not his game. He needed a long time to shoot. Right. Um. There is one more thing with Zach Eady that, you know, part of my frustration with the St. Peter's game is why didn't we go to the high pick and roll with Eady? Because he is good at that. Yeah, he runs it much better than Trevion did. Or- Way better. Trevion could not run, was a terrible big man in the pick and roll game. Terrible. Zach Eady got a taste of it first for Team Canada. They didn't throw him the ball a whole bunch in the post. What they did is continuously run a high pick and roll with him where he just launched and crashed the offensive boards. And he was really good at it. He was the second or third best player in that tournament. Like, he was dominant. Will we go to more of that next year? It's kind of sad to say we would do it next year when we don't have an Ivy on that team who would have made the most sense to do that with. But if we get a, say, sharp-shooting recruit from Kansas State, <laughs> all of a sudden... I, I don't know who you could be talking about. I don't about. know, but if you, gra- if you match that with a big dude like Edie who is just pulling into the paint and you have to guard the shooter. All of a sudden your offense has a ton more space. If you have a roller bringing in two to three guys and the guy with the ball has to be guarded up top, that's a high pick and roll offense with a ton of space and a lot of open shooting rounds. So will painter make that kind of less, less about Edie in the post and more about making him a more diverse big man for other people to do damage. I mean, I have to think that's where he's going because you look at the the big men he's recruiting. Short of um, you know Isaac Haas and Trevion, he's really tried to get those guys who are not as bulky, who can at least you know pull away from the rim, whether they shoot or whether they're good at pick and roll. Because we have one and, on the roster right now. Right. So 
I mean, if Berg is truly that kind of guy as well, which the highlights seem to seem to say that he is, uh, it could change how Purdue plays on offense. But um, you said, you know, this was your main critique of Painter uh, was the player development and the and the athletes. Is there anything else that that springs to mind that he needs to improve upon? I he does. This, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's the St. Peter's game, the Arkansas Little Rock game. How do we not have emergency buttons to go to? How do we not react better? Whether it's emotionally or with play design or in these big games, why why are Davids getting up on Goliath? Well, and they're we're allowing these other teams to control mm-hmm. the tempo of the game. Uh, it happened in those two games. And, I mean, one of the worst that I can think of is the VCU game. Yeah. Um, I mean, that – I mean, Purdue was just never in that game. VCU played their tempo the entire time. Of course, they wound up going to the Final Four, so it's not like Purdue was the only team that had a problem right. with them. But, my goodness, that game was one of the worst in the NCAA tournament I've seen Purdue play. Yeah, we just seem to go into these big games with a very rigid game plan, and we just don't have other buttons to go to. And for some reason, we can't bring the game to those teams, and it's just – it's a little weird and it's a little mind boggling. And some of that goes back to the limitations we're talking about. Uh, we don't have in those games. We don't have the guys that can be, you know, we're, we're talked about as a physical team because we have bigger guys inside, but we don't play physical anywhere else. Right. Yeah. And we're very finesse. Otherwise that's concerning. I mean, we have one physical guy on a roster, Mason Gillis, who runs around like a chicken with his head cut off at the time. So it, we have to find a balance between skill shooting athletes uh, I, I know what we want to be, and I get that, and it's more efficient in theory, but you watch teams like Houston lose two of their best four guys, and they are just monsters everywhere that goes at people. And, like, that's really consistent in college basketball. Uh, Baylor won a national title because they just overwhelmed Gonzaga, and they yeah. overwhelmed everyone they played. And I'm not saying we're going to go to that style because we're not, but you want to be able to have a little bit of that or at least have an answer to it. And that was what was so concerning is that St. Peter's, with less talent everywhere, less size everywhere, we had no. We didn't know they were going to play the way they played against Kentucky. They, they weren't going to be square, scared, and we don't have guys that are going. We should. Jaden Ivey should scare people from everybody <laughs> from pressing up on him. And we saw it a couple times this year where he just literally took off and took off like a rocket. Why can we not get to that more? And I don't understand because before you could say, "No, we didn't have the bodies. We didn't have the person." Now we kind of did. Right. And I just, I don't understand how we can't get to our best stuff in the best games. Yeah, me either. And that, that's very frustrating. Um, we have, we've seen Painter grow throughout his tenure at Purdue. Mm-hmm. Um, he relies more on analytics now than he did uh, as he, when he began. You know, you'll hear him talk about that's why uh, Purdue leaves shooters open in the corners or in, you know, specific shooters open in the corners because they're not good shooters. And even if they hit a couple, it'll balance out because, you know, they're a whatever percent three point shooter. Um, that's why I think his teams have taken more threes in recent years, even though, you know, we do have those bigs down low. Um, it's why we talked about at the beginning. Uh, he did foul up three in that Virginia game uh, just because the numbers say that's the smarter move. So he is growing as a coach. He's growing as a recruiter. As we you didn't see, take many threes this year. Well, I mean, 139 three-point attempts to field goal attempts. Okay, fine. And that number dropped drastically as the year went along. Well, because we were missing them, in fairness, because we looked like crap. We weren't as, taking as we, them though, because we weren't well, getting but, good ones. Yeah, Even when we but, were, we were missing. Correct, but. But I mean, we we've seen him evolve. Um, he's continuing to get good recruits coming in. Um, and as we said, he's building better teams closer together. Um, whether you believe it's four like I do or five like Casey does in the last 12 years, that's how many teams we view as real possibilities of the final four uh, for Purdue. And I do believe in at least the next two to three years, Purdue will have another one of those teams that we believe can get to the final four. So um, as for Casey and I, neither one of us want Painter to be gone. We want him to improve. We want him to make changes. Um, but so does Painter. You know, he's he's he understands what his job is. His job is to get to the final four. His job is to win the national title. And he he knows that. I mean, he's he's upset after every loss, just like we are. Um, And he knows what his job is and he's going to work to do that. And I think people who just criticize him without really putting any thought behind it are are just very frustrating to me. Yeah. Um, One thing we didn't mention is a ball dominant point guard. Can they exist? Can they thrive? Can they play in this offense? Because I 
I think a big part of our problem this year is we didn't have one to go to off the bench. Right. And we watched our guards melt down a little too much this year. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And Eric Hunter was very good at what he did, but at times it feels like our point guard's a placeholder. Yeah. Yeah. They're not really a, they're not really a piece that you go to. And that's, I mean, the one thing you can say is that usually they play good defense, but that's not enough. No. And I'm not sure that's always been the case either. So yeah. it's it, if you're talking on the court, what we need to add, it's that. And is there changes to the system and the players around them to help facilitate, facilitate that? Because that's kind of another they're all interconnected. None of these issues are a fireable. And no, none yeah. of them are unconnected. They're all kind of tethered to the same slight limitation that feels like it just kind of brings us down. When basketball is hardest, really doesn't seem like it brings out the best in us. No, no. And that's kind of when you need to be able to be better. Yep. And that's the one thing about the 2019 team. All of a sudden it got real hard and our players got harder. Yeah, and I mean, when you have two options like Klein and, yeah. and Edwards, it makes a lot of things easier, even when the shots are you know, maybe not the best shots a little deeper than you'd like them. When you got those two guys, it makes everything look a lot easier. So um, I think we've spent enough time on this one, but, you know, we promised you a Matt Painter episode, and here it is. So to recap, Matt Painter good, people who want him fired bad, and uh, <laughs> there's always improvement to be had. So, um, Casey, if, unless there's anything else, I think we'll leave it there. No, I think we'll be back to bi-weekly, bi-weekly. We'll see. We'll see. I got my heart back, baby. We turned the light on. Let's go. All All right. All right.